Our sermon text today is Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. And as we prepare to look to this passage, I think about uh, Christmas trees. I, I think about Christmas trees. I see the beautiful Christmas trees decorated here in the, the sanctuary. I think of the Christmas tree we have decorated at our home. Uh, another one out in the narthex, one in the fellowship hall, these beautiful Christmas trees. And as I think about beautiful Christmas trees, my mind goes to another Christmas tree, the Christmas tree that Charlie Brown had. You remember that one? It uh, was not quite so beautiful, was it? It was, it was a little bit less ornate. I was actually in a production of It's a Charlie Brown Christmas when I was in fourth grade. I played the role of Linus. It was uh, a wonderful opportunity. It was kind of my, uh, my acting debut and my swan song all in one. Uh, but, but I got to play Linus. I got to uh, carry the blanket around and I got to uh, actually proclaim the gospel uh, back, way back then in fourth grade. And so what a, what a wonderful opportunity that was. But the story, if you're familiar with, with it, of it's a Charlie Brown Christmas. He's trying to figure out what the real meaning of Christmas is. He finally uh, comes to knowledge of it when, when Linus does proclaim the gospel from Luke chapter 2 to him, and, and he realizes that it's not all about just a big, fancy, commercialized Christmas with, with uh, the decorations being the most important thing, the tree looking all beautiful and glorious, but rather uh, Christ Jesus dying for our sins is what is important. But indeed, uh, we see in today's passage a Christmas tree of sorts. And more than like our glorious Christmas trees that we have here, it is more like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree because it's, it's in fact, hardly a tree at all. It's just a stump. And not even the stump, but rather the shoot from a stump. Let's take a look at this Christmas tree in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. But, but first, let's ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would during this time just speak to us speak to us now help us to uh, just know your truth may we know it not just in our minds but in our hearts may we may we be convicted by your truth may it cause us to re-examine ourselves perhaps to repent of sin to cling to you for forgiveness and to change our ways that we might be more like Christ Jesus who died for our sins and lives that we might have life eternal with you. Speak now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here now, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. This is the inspired word of God. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. 
but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The season of Advent is largely about uh, looking forward to the coming of our King and the kingdom that he brings with him. And as we look at today's passage, we we can see that, that it speaks about where this kingdom comes from, what this kingdom brings to us, and who this kingdom is for. First, where the kingdom comes from. In this, we, we see really uh, an example of how our God delights in irony. One definition of, of irony that I found was this. It said, it's a state of affairs or an event that seems deliberately contrary to what one expects and is often amusing as a result. Because we see in the coming of the great King of Kings and the Lord of Lords how in God's economy, big things often come from little places. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to us here. He he preached in Jerusalem to the nations of his days. He preached predicting the future. And, and he spoke of, in the first part of Isaiah, as we said last week, the nation of Assyria, which was the big threat of the day. It was, it was coming against Judah, and they were worried about Assyria just coming down through Israel and taking over Jerusalem. It was a very real fear. They were very powerful in that day. But Isaiah spoke forward it looked forward into the future as it were and spoke about what was coming and he spoke of assyria in the very verse that preceded this chapter so you know we we see chapter 11 in the start of it but we need to remember that the end of chapter 10 leads right into it right that's the context in which this is being said in in the very last verse of chapter 10 isaiah speaks about the assyrians specifically referring to them as a mighty forest 
Right? The, he evokes this picture, this image in our head of them as a mighty force, but he says, he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. In Lebanon, will fall by the majestic one. What a, what a beautiful picture that is. The, uh, you know, the strength of Assyria, like a mighty forest, but it will be nothing against the servant of the Lord who comes against them on behalf of his people. And it's interesting what he says about this servant. He, he, he comes forth as a shoot, verse 1 tells us, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It's, it's interesting, the contrast, isn't it, between this giant forest of tall, strong, sturdy trees and all their might coming against them is just this little shoot off of a stump. You wouldn't expect the shoot off of a stump to be much in a battle against a great forest, but indeed, in God's economy, this is how things often work. I mean, the, the stump has already been cut down. It's, it's there. It's, it, it's already seemingly defeated. And yet, spoiler alert, ultimately in Christ Jesus, we will see this happen, won't we? Because Jesus dies on the cross. It seems he is defeated seems that, that his victory is lost. And yet, it is exactly, precisely in dying on the cross that he gains his victory over the powers of sin and death and Satan. Well, Isaiah is obviously speaking forward to Christ. He's speaking about him here. He's saying, saying that, that Jesus will one day come and, and accomplish these purposes. And, and along this idea of where he comes from, we we need to understand in this big things coming from little places motif, uh, there's the fact that Jesus comes from an ordinary family, right? Think of where he comes from. He, he is, is from the town of Nazareth. We read in, in Matthew 13, it says, coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? See, they, they would have expected somebody who, who spoke so wisely, so, so eloquently, had such wisdom and such power and authority in what he said to perhaps have come from the finest of schools, you know, to have maybe, maybe gone to the Ivy League of the ancient Near East and, and somehow accrued all this knowledge, or at least maybe have spent many years training under the most learned of rabbis, but, but that's not what they saw when they looked at Jesus, because they knew Jesus was just the guy next door, that guy they'd grown up with, right? The, the, the guy that lived, lived right over there, his dad was, was that carpenter guy. He wasn't some scholar. And his mom, well, his mom, his mom was Mary. Mary was nice enough, but she was just Mary. How is it that this guy, Jesus, coming from such an ordinary family, could have such wisdom to speak to us? I mean, if he had come from the royal family, perhaps, with a royal education, maybe we would expect this. But not somebody coming from an ordinary family like this. And we need to understand Nazareth itself, his hometown. We, we think of Nazareth. If you hear the town Nazareth, you probably think of Jesus and, and the fact that it is the town that was in the providence of God, honored to be the hometown of our Lord, 
right? It's, it's famous for that now. And yet, in his day, that's not exactly how it was thought of. Nazareth wasn't, wasn't an uh, uh, optimal vacation destination, right? It was, it was one of those places that was kind of on the other side of the tracks, as it were. Right? We know this looking at John 1 and how Jesus found Philip, and then Philip went to tell Nathaniel about Jesus. And what did he say? He said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's saying that, that we found the Messiah. We found the one who will deliver us. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel respond to him but this? Can anything good come from Nazareth? He's, he's astounded. He's almost unbelieving because there's no way anything good could come from Nazareth. So terrible was its reputation. That is where Jesus came from. And he was born, of course, in the, the meanest of circumstances. I don't need to, especially at this time of year, rehearse to you the context of his birth, the, the manger, the, the meager settings, uh, the need to flee to Egypt. Think of, how, think of how England reacts when there's the birth of a royal baby, right? And you know, we're not even English, but still sometimes we get caught up in it. It's on the news and everything. And, and there's this great national celebration throughout England, when, when so especially if they're an heir to the throne, right? This is not what happened with Jesus. It was not a cause for national celebration when this coming king was born. It was just an ordinary birth. He was born. There he is. Right? And other than the shepherds who were beckoned by the angels... There were none that day that came to recognize the glory of his birth. It was at a time when the throne of God's people had gone over 500 years without any substantial power to it from an earthly standpoint. The kingdom had been cut down, as it were, and all that remained was a stump. Things did not look promising, but that's how God often works, isn't it? Whoever finds his life will lose it, Jesus says, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah says. It's interesting, he says, from the stump of Jesse. You remember how David was anointed back in 1 Samuel 16. Samuel had been sent by God to find the one who would be the king of God's people and to anoint him, and he sends him to Jesse's house, and Jesse, he shows up and, and asks Jesse, do you, do you have any sons, perhaps, that might, might be king material? And Jesse says, oh yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me show you my, my oldest boy, my my." Son here, he's, he's make a great king. He looked all the part. But God says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature, for the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Samuel knew that this was not the one. And seven different sons were brought before him, and seven different sons he turned away. And finally, he says to Jesse, is that all you got? Are there, are there any others? 
And Jesse essentially says, well, I, I, yeah, we got David. I mean, he, the youngest, he's out there taking care of the sheep, but I, I guess we could bring him in. You know, he, he, it wasn't like a, a rousing, oh yeah, definitely. No, no, he, he didn't think much of him. And if ever there was a living illustration for Christ's words that the first will be last and the last will be first, it was in David, for he was the youngest, the smallest, the last to be considered, and yet it was he we know who would become the king. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I wonder, too, if it's possible that Isaiah refers to him as, as the stump of Jesse here, as the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And, and it's interesting, he doesn't say from the stump of David, right? He, because perhaps he's not wanting to draw any allusions to the grandeur of the throne, right? If he goes to Jesse, he kind of removes that altogether and, and helps us to focus on the, the humility of Christ, the humbleness of Christ, the, the meager settings in which he was born. If we seek glory, we must remember this, that the way up is to go down as Christ Jesus did. He, he took, on, took on human form, born as a little baby, humbling himself, and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he did this all for us. He did this all for us that we might have life, that we might have forgiveness, that we might not have to go to death eternal. He took that upon himself for us. What a great gift. And he was able to do so for all of us because he is the infinite one, the eternal one. He is the one who, who was before all times, the one by whom and in whom and through whom all things were created, God himself. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Isaiah says in verse 2, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit and of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He was the, the perfectly spiritual man, right? Fully man, born of a woman, but yet fully God. He who was the second person of the Trinity. He who, who, whose spirit led him in all things. He who was unaffected by sin at all. Isaiah had said just a couple chapters later about him. <clears throat> to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. He was the Son of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Right, That's what the angel had said to Joseph in the dream. You'll recall Joseph had been... Uh, Engaged, he was, he was betrothed to Mary. And she was with child, and he did not know how this could be. 
And the angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God, and because he is the Son of God, he always acted in a godly way. And that's what kings are supposed to do. We think of kings sometimes, especially in our context where we have uh, hundreds of years ago rebelled against a king who was tyrannical. And, and so we need our freedom from this king. We need our independence. But we forget sometimes with that mindset that what a king is supposed to do is to represent God to the people. He is to represent God. And I heard say that, that that's actually why historically the, the coronation of a king takes place in a cathedral as opposed to in a courthouse or in a parliament building. Because the king is to represent God to the people. And Jesus is our king. He is our God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And as he comes to be with us, he brings in his kingdom peace. <clears throat> peace, of course, can mean just the cessation of hostilities, the, the lack of punching each other in the face, right? But, but it means more than that. We've talked about this before, the idea of shalom and how it, it's a rich, meaningful word that, that goes deep into the, the, the culture of the people of God and the idea that not only is there a cessation of hostilities, but, but that all of life is webbed together in such a way and worked together in such a way as, as, as to bring glory to God. And, and things are quite simply the way they ought to be. Right? That is the idea of true peace. And this is what he brings. And so in that, there's an absence of injustice. There's no more injustice in the king's kingdom. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That's not saying that he's not going to pay any attention to the evidence. Rather, what it's saying there is that he is not swayed by clever arguments or by people's standings or standing or appearances, right? It's the same idea we have with, with our legal system we talk about justice being blind right the whole idea of justice lady justice stands there holding the scales blindfolded right so she might not be swayed by appearances and that is how true peace is instead of judging on appearances he does so with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth they are the ones who are, are most easily taken advantage of, the ones who are most desperately in need of, of a defender, a champion, one who will judge righteously. And that's what he does. This righteous judge does so because he is not concerned about his, his own benefits so much as he is concerned about loving us. He loves us so well that he lays down his life for us. Greater love hath no man than that, he says. And then he backs it up with his actions. We hate when we see people who abuse power. He does just the opposite. He uses his power for the good of others. And in this he brings true peace to us. It means that, that there 
There's never a time with Jesus where we need to worry about him abusing his power. We can know that he is always using it for our good. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. He says it's the same idea that Martin Luther had when he, he said in his song, A mighty fortress is our God, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, he, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Right? God's word is the same as God's action. Right? He need only speak, and it is done. Right? That's, that's how he created. God said, let there be, and there was. And that is how it is today, too. If God says it will be, then it will be. There is power in his word. His speaking and his doing are the same. He utters his judgments, and they are final. And that can seem kind of scary to us. Right? Because if our judgments were final upon our uttering of them, what a mess of things we would make. But not with our God. For righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so there will be peace in the sense that all things will be as they should. But also in the sense that there will be a cessation of hostilities. There will not be people at one another's throats or even creation at conflict with itself. In Alfred Lord Tennyson's In Memoriam, A.H.H., written in 1850, he refers to man who trusted God was love indeed and love creation's final law. Though nature read in tooth and claw, with ravine shrieked against this creed. That, all, that, that phrase, nature red in tooth and claw, always caught my fancy. The, uh, just the, I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful picture of, of an ugly truth, right? That, that nature is red in tooth and claw, that, that, that the, the teeth and the claws of nature are red with blood, of course, as, as nature is battling against itself, as it were, right? And... And Andrew Peterson, a Christian artist, who, a Christian musician that, that I greatly admire, actually, uh, wrote a song called Come Back Soon, and he, he made reference to this in that song. He says, if nature's red in tooth and claw, then it seems to me that she's an outlaw. Because every death is a question mark at the end of the book of a beating heart. And the answer is scrawled in the silent dark on the dome of the sky in a billion stars. But we cannot read these angel tongues and we cannot stare at the burning sun and we cannot sing with these broken lungs. So we kick in the womb and we beg to be born. Deliverance. Deliverance. Oh, Lord. That is what we want. We want to be delivered from this broken world. We want to be delivered from the pain we see, from the, from the pain we experience. We want to be delivered from all that is crashing against us, from the claws and the fangs that would scratch and that would bite and that would kill us and that would shed our blood. We want deliverance from this. We want all things to be set right, to be at peace with one another. And that is what Jesus brings 
Verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And why not? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful picture. What, what a beautifully poetic picture. What an even more beautiful truth. Think of how the waters cover the sea, right? Well, well, completely, right? There is no sea without the waters. They cover it completely. And he says that that is how the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the earth. So that everyone will know, and every thing will know, and every place will know, and all of it will manifest the, the knowledge of the Lord, and all things will be set to rights to the glory of God. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that is. And, and how will this come about? Well, verse 8 tells us that the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weans child shall put his hand in the adder's den. And, and we're caused to ask, I think, what, what is it that we think of here when we see the, the cobra and the adder, what, the, these serpents, right, that, that the child is able to put his hand in, he's able to play around. And it draws our, our memories back to Gen Genesis 3, does it not, when the, the serpent Servant deceives Adam and Eve, and, and, and the first Adam falls, and all creation falls with him. And, and we see that, that the creation is broken as a result, and that is why nature is red in tooth and claw. That is why we hurt. That is why we weep. That is why we suffer. That is why there is agony and pain and trauma, and why the world is not all that it should be. But that will be turned around through the child, the little child that shall lead them, verse 6 says. And our mind goes to that manger, to the little child born, the little child born who indeed will lead, the one who leads and who brings his kingdom. And who is that kingdom for? Well, verse 10 tells us, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. See who is for is for all the nations. Not just for a small group. Jesus isn't just the king for a small group, a sectarian group of, of, of this certain little religion can have him as their king, and then these other religions have some other king. No, he is the king for all the nations, regardless whether they acknowledge him now as their king or not. He is the king. And one day they will acknowledge it so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All the nations. That's why we do international missions. Bob mentioned before our missionaries. That's why we're thankful that other people have done international missions. Otherwise we would never have come to know the truth ourselves. It comes to us through Jesus. It is in him and in him alone we who once were at enmity with God can instead have peace. 
Jesus who says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. He gives it to us that we might be peacemakers through him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let us remember this truth. Let us bask in the glow and the glory of Christ's peace, that we might share it with others. For it is for all the nations. And his resting place indeed shall be glorious. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we thank you once more for your great graciousness to us, so undeserved, yet so graciously given. We thank you for the peace that is ours in Christ Jesus, and we long for that day, your second coming, your second advent, when the kingdom that has already will be already been inaugurated will be consummated and we will behold your glory fully come lord jesus amen